Welcome to Nerdy Here Weekly, a podcast about the week's biggest stories in nerdy news. This week we're talking about Jordan Peele's new film, Nope, and we're going full spoilers, so if, you, if this is as far as you should go, otherwise say <laughs> nope, get out now. I'm joined by Deepak Chitness. Uh, quick time out, is this Nerdy Here Weekly or is this something else? I don't know, I'm just branding it all that way until we figure it out, that's okay. Should it be The Watchmen? I don't, I don't know what we're doing, but anyway, hello. <laughs> and Jackson Trahan. Hi, Riley. I like how carefully you phrased the title of, of, like, the introduction so people weren't confused by the title of the film. Yeah, well, the thing is, I wanted to make sure that I told everybody right off the bat that we were going full spoilers, partially because I didn't know if your, like, hey, I'm also on the podcast <laughs> thing was going to be a massive spoiler. It could have been. That's kind of your I style. Wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. All right, so, uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about Jordan Peele's new movie, Nope, which is kind of the biggest pop culture thing going on right now, right? Where sort I don't of, know. Sh- Shelby the talking shell or whatever is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Marcel the shell with shoes on. I feel like Top Gun still probably is number one. Yeah, Top Gun's still cruising along, right? Top Gun definitely uh-huh. like a big... <laughs> Stupid. Top Gun a big movie of the year for sure. Jack and I trying to see it this week maybe. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully gonna see it on Wednesday. Still haven't gotten the that one. But yeah, I feel like Nope is like... I don't know. The... The biggest movie of the, the summer? The, the biggest cinephile hit of the summer. I mean, it's been weird since COVID, and there's like four options for all of them, but yeah. <laughs> right. That's fair. Well, and I feel like, you know, right now, we're heading into like kind of a doldrummy point of the year. Like, I was putting together the August guide that's on the website now, and like, there's a couple fun things, but... Late summer can be rough. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, so we're talking about Nope, because that's the fun thing to talk about. Let's round Robin. Um... I want to start Jack, then Deepak, then me. Let's just get everybody's top-line thoughts on Nope. Mm, I liked it. You liked it? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was pretty good. It was... I thought a bunch of the, um... I thought all of the, like, plot threads came around in a pretty satisfying way, and it was, um... Uh, the twit, I guess you said we're already in spoiler town. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that it was aliens going into it. So. Oh, you didn't? No, I, I hadn't seen a trailer or nothing. My first interaction with the film was that opening chimp scene. Uh, the way nature intended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jack did at first, like, there was a point when we were watching it together and Jack made a joke that, like, is this a movie about chimps? Like, that was, at a certain point, what he thought the movie was about, which kind of is what led into my take, ultimately. But Deepak, let's get your top-line thoughts. You're the freshest out of the theater, so. Yeah, my, I mean, highest-level thought is very good, um, and more than his other two movies, I don't mean this as a criticism at all, I think this is the one that is the most superficially entertaining like you don't need to read into subtext or what he's trying to say on like a larger cultural level you can go into this and just enjoy it as a genre film which is what has inspired pretty much every movie he's made so far all three of them Um, so I think in that way this is the most kind of shut off your brain entertaining I I think Get Out was an April release and I can't remember when Us came out I don't know if that was a summer movie but this feels very much like a summer movie in that way there is a lot going on. We'll get to it, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, it, but I think it's you're not absolute... necessary to like enjoying it at all. To like, to yeah, I think you're absolutely that. right. You can, like, I think all of his movies on some level, you can watch with that. Uh, uh, Us was a March release, by the way. Deepak. Mm-hmm. I think all of his movies, right? Like, like Get Out, I think is good. But like, you can't watch Get Out without engaging with the social commentary, right? 
and even us, like I think us, every time I revisit us, I get so excited about it. I think unlike Get Out, right, which was really incredibly specific with what it was trying to say, mm-hmm. I think us talks about a lot of different social issues and kind of like packs so much in there that every time I watch it, I feel like I'm coming away thinking about some different aspect of how fucked up our society is. Us, us is messy, and I think that's us a is, good thing. And I, I agree. Yeah. But And yeah, Nope, I think, yeah, first of all, like, you could just go in and be like, cool alien movie, and walk out and be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that it is, there's a lot more going on there, like you said, that we're going to unpack. But the other thing is, you know, I saw a piece, um, must have been on NBC, I don't remember if it was the morning show or what, but they were interviewing him, and... Oh, the Today Show, I think I saw this. Was it Today Show? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that Jupiter claim, you know, kind of set mm-hmm. is now a long-term feature at Universal Studios, right? Which, in the, from their perspective, puts it on the same level as Jaws, right? Which is kind of, in a way, what this, you know, this movie is, it has a lot of DNA with Jaws that we can talk about if we want to, but... Spielberg just, in general, Close Encounters and all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah, there's a, Spielberg's all over this thing. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, so it was just interesting for me to see the studio embrace it like that to the point that they were like, this is now a thing you see if you come on a tour to Universal Studios. You see a Jordan Peele set. Can we just take a minute to shout out Universal here for now being the new Warner Brothers, for being the new home of like the independent filmmaker who wants to just tell stories on a large scale and Universal goes, yeah, fuck it. Here's $100 million. Make a movie called Nope. Make well, a movie that, about the guy who's making the nuclear bomb. Just go ahead, do it. We Deep, don't care. Deepak, you were teeing, you teed yourself up perfectly because I was getting ready to tee you up to say, Deepak, can you talk about what it means that there is a nope fixture at Universal Studios? No, yeah, I mean, I mean this it, is we're we're moving into a new generation now. We're like we grew up where the Universal theme park was all Spielberg, right? It was Jurassic Park, it was E.T., it was Jaws, it was whatever, right? Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark was a little Disney, Zemeckis in there, right? yeah, yeah, and exactly Zemeckis Back to the Future. Now we're getting into the point where like the stuff that we grew up with, whether it's Star Wars prequels or Avatar, or whatever, that's now going to be the next set of theme parks that our kids are growing up with and we're already institutionalizing Jordan Peele as one of those behemoths and I'm fine with it. I agree 100%. I think we are in such an interesting time for movies right now. We talk about guys like Jordan Peele. We talk about guys like Alex Garland. We talk about guys like... Nolan. Uh, uh, who else were we talking about recently? Uh, Nolan. Names is good. <laughs> Jack says Nolan. Uh, That's yeah. what he said. Yeah, because you were shouting out the Oppenheimer thing. But that, I feel like there's this class of like new directors who have done like three or four movies at this point, right? Mm. And they all seem itchy to me to like break out of the limitations of their space. Does that make any sense? That does. But then by the same token, I think you have guys like Villeneuve who do Villeneuve, a little yeah. bit of everything, and now they've pigeonholed themselves into just being the big budget RC sci-fi guy and he's good at it yeah. so there's not a criticism either Jack when you like do you think as someone who is less likely to go to the movies to see a movie mm-hmm. do you think that when you see a movie made by a director like Jordan Peele right where you clock like oh this guy does something mm-hmm. or Alex Garland right where you're like oh I know what his mm-hmm. shenanigans are about uh, do you think that encourages you like would that be more bang for your movie going buck um, there are some. I mean, it it probably depends. I think each person has, like, a, a set of names which they might recognize more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, definitely for me, like, director appeal is, is a big part of it. <clears throat> Robert Eggers was the other guy I was thinking of. I That's couldn't right. pull the name up earlier. There we go. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I think I guess the reason I bring it up, Jack, is it's just interesting me because interesting to me because auteur theory, right, and the idea that directors have their fingerprints like all over movies mm-hmm. is a very popular idea among people who talk about movies. But I feel like as directors become more well known, just in general, like in the public, or mm-hmm. people, you know, maybe you see their names on stuff, or you know, the trailer says from the mind of Christopher Nolan, right, things like that. There are certain directors who I think people are honing in on now is like, oh, I like their movies. And in the past, right, that has sometimes, and Deepak, you can speak to this a little bit, but that has sometimes not always been the best, right? We've talked about the, there are some Nolan fans online who can be a little difficult to to get along with. And the same thing with like Lucas in the past, right? Like there have been definitely those diehards who go too all in for the guy and, and maybe don't always make the most fun conversation out of it. But... It, you, when these guys become more well-known, I feel like, and, and and gals, because of course there are people like Greta Gerwig right now who is making just incredible movies. She's about to do the Barbie movie and change all of our lives forever. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting to me, I guess, Deepak, what I'm trying to say is it's interesting to me to see auteur theory take hold in the public consciousness, where even like people will be like, oh, I know what a Russo movie is. Right. There is a cult of personality that develops around each of these guys, and I guess the the types of movies they make tends to dictate how vociferous their fan base is. Like, we get the Snyders and the Nolans, and I think Villeneuve's fan base is kind of turning into that now, where you can't really give any kind of constructive criticism of his movies without being shot down. But Peel, there's something, I think, not that he's playing with lower stakes, but almost by the fact that he's won an Oscar right out the gate, he's almost, like, been cemented now. Like, people people yeah. trust him, and, and you're allowed to engage with him on that level. And he, he, he invites that, I think, because even if you... He's one person where I feel like if you criticize the movies, you don't automatically get labeled some kind of horrible thing. You are actually trying to engage with it, and I think people tend to be respectful about that, where you don't his, get that with a lot of others. His movies, I think, more so than any other, mm-hmm. uh, invite the conversation. Yeah. Right? The way that classic Nolan, right? Like Memento, right? Like invited the conversation. Or is it Enemy? Which one's the The, Villeneuve Villeneuve movie? Yeah, but I think with those it's different because when it comes to Nolan or Villeneuve, people tend to be, the conversation is dominated by the mechanics of the plot. When I come out of a Jordan Peele movie, and this is, we did one after us and we're doing it again now, we're talking about like core thematic elements or we're talking about things around the movie. We all tend to agree that the movie is very, very good. Yeah, and right. that, that's where the difference is because with I remember coming out of like Interstellar it's like oh what did they mean by when he went there and why did he do that and that's what the conversation is and it's the same thing when you come out of like a Marvel movie or a DC movie like why did Superman have to die and shit right here we're yeah. talking about like what was he saying yeah what made this important why was it like this okay so that's a great segue so Jack we're gonna play a quick game here I'm gonna put 90 seconds on the clock I want you to run me through the plot of Nope okay do you want to take a second to prepare yourself? Yeah, can you give me like 10 seconds? Yeah, yeah, rest. yeah. And, and this will be fun because, as you said, you didn't really know what you were dealing with going in. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. all right. 90 seconds on the clock. As much as you can give us the plot of Nope on your mark, get set, go. All right, so uh, in the opening scene, uh, the main character, whose name is Otis Jr. or OJ's dad, gets mysteriously killed by metal debris falling from the sky. He has to take over his job, but he's clearly not very comfortable with it, and his sister, who's supposed to be helping him out, is also not very committed to making this business work. 
uh, as they struggle against these sorts of pressures. Um, he continues to investigate the circumstances of his father's mysterious death and begins to suspect. I forget exactly what makes him suspect it initially. Is there a cloud that doesn't move? That that no, that's later. Oh, okay. But he begins to suspect that it could be aliens. Yes. Because he's like a country guy. People talk about aliens. Sure, yeah. Uh, so he goes to the department store and finds the biggest asshole in the world and gets him to install security cameras to, to check if, ali if aliens. And then, um, meanwhile, his friend-slash-rival horse jockey, he's a horse jockey, uh, is running a new show that he, they invite him to uh, that features the, an alien. He doesn't mention this. And then it goes horribly wrong. Uh, many, many people get killed. Uh, and Otis Jr. and his sister and the asshole have to figure out what happened and how to to best the aliens in gladiatorial combat. That's great. You have ten seconds left. And the aliens aren't aliens. It's a one living thing. There you go. It's a ship, and you can't look. It's at not it. a ship. Great. It looks like a ship, but yeah. it's an alien, and you can't look at it. Yeah. Deepak, how do you think he did? Yeah, I think he nailed it. That covers most of the ground. That gives us enough to, like, now, now if you haven't seen the movie, but you just wanted to listen to us talk about it anyway, you know enough about the movie... Yeah, that's fair. ...that we can now talk about it and you won't be totally in the dark. Mm -hmm. Deepak, which of those characters... Because I also thought, one of the things I thought about this movie that I wrote about in my review is that I felt like Peel zoomed out a lot this time. In the past, his, you know, with, with Get Out, it was very much about the Daniel Kaluuya character. Mm. With us, it was kind of about both sides of our main character, right? The tethered and non-tethered version. Hmm. Of Lapita. Yeah. Of Lapita's character, mm -hmm. right. And then with this, it was kind of about the community, right? Like, it was about Kaluuya and, and his sister, played by Kiki Palmer, but also, right, the legacy of their dad, their relationship to this neighbor character. The neighbor character kind of has his own entire B-plot in a, like, way that Elizabeth Mosk, his character in Us, very, very beefed up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he's in the movie. Um... So out of all that, Dvac, was there any like narrative that you clung to the most, or thought was the most interesting, or had just thoughts you wanted to share about with the, just the characters? You and I kind of talked a little bit about what the meaning of the Stephen Yoon subplot is with the chimp, and that's something that didn't really hit me at the time as far as the meaning of it and how it plays into the larger thing. But uh, my biggest takeaway from it was that it, th there's three things they're really talking about here. One is that there's been a historic marginalization of black and minority contributions throughout the history of cinema. And I don't know if they're really telling the truth about the black jockey on the horse being their great-great-grandfather or whatever, but even if it's true or not, the point still stands. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is that there's a big, big push here about everyone's talked about how the movie tackles spectacle and he makes it so that there are viewers that are literally quote unquote in the cloud and how we've changed this. And he again reverts to these Spielbergian techniques where we never get an overhead shot of the town from the alien's point of view until the very end when Kaluuya's on the horse running away from it. We're only yeah. ever looking up at it through slats in you know, the barn yeah, no, or, or through the roof or whatever it may be. Uh, it's so very that committed was, to like the person's perspective. Exactly, it's the, the, the it's the ET effective. trick all over again, where everything is only at the child's eye level because it's a children's yeah. story, right? And then the third the, thing was, there's an enormous emphasis placed on the importance of uh, older technologies over newer ones, with the hand cranked IMAX camera, and then of course the climax is her using the photographic film Polaroid in the well to take a picture of what essentially looks like Mothra. Um, 
there's a big, big emphasis on that. And I, I guess it's him trying to sort of go, we need to tell stories that are more forward thinking, but maybe tell them in ways that are more, for lack of a better word, regressive in the sense of the way Nolan likes to go backward, the way uh, more Tarantino, traditional. Yeah, exactly. Honor tradition, but use that tradition not necessarily to tell the same stories over again, but to tell stories that are now more relevant to the world we live in. Yeah, I think that he, so, like, for example, you called out that that hand crank camera is IMAX branded, right? Which, mm -hmm. of course, the film is shot in IMAX, and mm -hmm. uh, it looks incredible. Is it Hoyt? Who's the, yeah, it's the cinematographer? Same, it's Hoyt Van Hoytema, who did Dunkirk, Interstellar, Tinker Tailor, uh, Spectre. Yeah. yeah. Just an incredible cinematographer, and Tenet. like, there's obviously a cinematographer. Sorry, Tenet also. Tenet, yeah. There's a cinematographer in the movie as a character, and like, I think we clearly get an idea of like what Jordan Peele thinks of cinematographers, <laughs> right? They're like the tough badasses on set who are gonna get the shot. Um, but I mean, I saw an interview where he talked about working with Hoyt on like developing new, you know, ways of filming for this movie, right? And it looks like you say it looks incredible. The number of shots, especially in that final sequence where, like, the bottom 20% of the screen is Kaluuya on the horse running away from this thing, and most of the screen is the sky with this giant, ever-morphing alien creature. But it's, like, it's all... I think I'm even thinking of right before that where like it's still changing and he can't look at it and it's like out of focus in the background. Yeah. And you're like trying to look around him to see what's going on. I think the <laughs> best example, the best example in my mind, Deepak, is the number of times that Peel uses that beautiful IMAX, you know, not only the size of the frame, but the resolution that it has and forces you, the viewer, to look around, the, looking for this thing, being, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? Right. And I think that these are all ways, like you say, that he uses this kind of old-school way of filmmaking to do something we've never seen before, right? Which is real cool. Mm -hmm. And and there might be something deeper there in terms of what the movie making is act like the movie is actually about, right? I know that I wanted to, I wanted to be the one to talk about Gregory, so I'm going to talk about Gregory for a minute. So Jack didn't mention in his recap, because it's hard to fold in. <laughs> it was 90 seconds. Yeah, man. that the movie does open with a chimp killing a bunch of people oh, on, the, Gregory. on the set of a sitcom in, I guess, the 90s it's supposed to be? 96 yeah. or 98, it says, yeah. And that's Stephen Yoon's character as a child, right? And that's then, his backstory, yeah. And, yeah, and... So first, I just wanted to call out this tweet that had resurfaced that people were kind of passing around online. This Jordan Peele tweet from 2014 saying, quote, Dreamt that a baby chimp attacked some people and then ran to me and hugged me all scared. Woke up with tears streaming down my face. Hashtag bruh. Um, and yeah, like since then, people have been coming back being like, this is why you write your dreams down. <laughs> uh, but, you know, very interesting then that after that, right, we get him creating a, you know, like... The company's called Monkey Paw, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's all... The way that this movie relates to his idea of filmmaking on such a foundational level, I think, is really interesting because of reasons that I'm going to say now about Gregory. I think that there is something... in Like, we talked about how you don't have to read into this movie racially, right? I'm going to do that now. I think there's something inherently... Uh, essential in the title of the movie, right, which is, like, unique to the black experience, especially in horror movies, right? Like, the gag of the black person always dies first in a mm -hmm. horror movie. Mm -hmm. 
Not the gag, the trope, I suppose I should say. Like, the the bad stereotype because of that's what's happened in the past. And then there's, like, the cultural awareness I even feel, like, that that is not accurate to reality. (laughs) Right, yeah. And the whole idea, right, the whole idea of, you know, in any society, an oppressed group of people who have had to deal with their feral shit of bullshit before is not going to go charging into an unknown situation where they don't necessarily know the outcome's going to be. And it gets called out. There's a whole scene about it in the film. I mean, the best nope in the movie, in my opinion, is when Daniel Kaluuya opens that door a little bit and looks up and he sees it there and he slams it shut and locks the the door. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. 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 That was so good. But, But, so, okay. So there's that, right? The foil character to Daniel Kaluuya in the movie is Stephen Young, who has this memory of this chimp destroying this set, but it's a false memory, because as as telegraphed by that shoe kind of levitating, right? He's not remembering this the way it actually happened. And so at the end, he thinks that this chimp was going to befriend him, and then it was shot dead in front of him. In reality, it was probably getting ready to tear his face off, right? But because of this, Stephen Young's character has this weird view on the world where he seems to believe that he can control things that are beyond his ability to control, right? Daniel, Living things, maybe, specifically. Right, yeah. Forces of nature. Daniel Kaluuya's character, Jack mentioned, comes up breaking horses and, and has been taught by his dad, who came up breaking horses, that there are some horses you just can't break. Right? And he has a healthy respect for that as an idea, and he has a healthy nope instinct, right? <laughs> when it comes when it comes to stuff he just shouldn't be fucking with. And I think that see how that goes for the characters. <laughs> but I think that is kind of what this movie is like maybe saying, right? Maybe the, there are two buckets of people in the world, right? Mm-hmm. There are people who are gonna put the mask on and there are people who are gonna say, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I thought a lot about COVID during this movie just because of forces of nature that you shouldn't fuck with and yeah. think you can control. Absolutely. Right? Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing I thought, same reason I thought a lot about Jaws during the coronavirus pandemic, right? Um, Open the beaches. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, so I did, like all that stuff was really rattling around in my mind. And I guess I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about that thematically. Just like, do you, I mean, let's start with, do you think I'm onto something? Do you think I'm totally off? And then Absolutely. how do you kind of react to those? No, I think I think you nailed it. It's not something that occurred to me as far as the COVID parallel, but seeing you or hearing you say it, yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, definitely. When I first saw the movie, I was probably most curious mid viewing about like how the whole chimp thing was going to come back, and then when it got to him doing his show and he mentioned that the aliens are going to be a part of it, it all started to click together. Yeah, but I definitely think it's it's a hubris situation. I liked your. The one thing I couldn't get from it was was how the shoe fit in, and I like what you said that like the shoe wasn't really there. He's remembering it from like the display. Yeah, yeah he has it displayed in his house. So now in that way, so right. It's that uh, what do you call it? Tre- I mean, treachery of memory. Yeah, I even think about that a lot. Like, how much do I remember like going to Disney World, and how much do I just Have remember the videos World. and pictures of me being there? Yeah, yeah. it's the same sort of a s- similar situation. Um, so I think his character is, is all about sort of be having the humility to work in this space, or at least the one that they're talking about there, like to work with animals or to, in that case, and maybe there's something to be said about working with people or forces bigger than that too, if we wanted to relate it back to the movie industry. But uh, I, I think you're definitely onto something. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. And Deepak, do you, I mean, as a guy who's been on film sets, did you feel like that kind of spoke to a thing about the film industry as a whole? The memory of the shoe? No, sorry. Just that whole idea of like, oh, I got this. I don't need, you know, like, like, um, like, you know, Trumino doing Heaven's Gate, right? Being like, it's fine. I got this. Nothing can break me. It's going to be okay. Right? Like that attitude of like just certain guys who are like, you know, I am... I can control whatever comes at me. I will. I don't have to worry until the chimp rips my face off or the alien shits my blood out on top of Daniel. Yeah, Kalea's but house. I think there's there's a um, a misunderstanding that that sometimes yeah. comes from like bravado, and it's really not that. It's just that we put our heads down because we have eight hours to get this much done, and we just have to do it, and we forge ahead. Mm. Um, there, but yeah, as far as the recreation of the sets, and there's very subtle stuff happening, like after the horse kick someone and they fire them oh god you see i couldn't them, even watch you see them wheel in the green screen horse right behind yeah the them green screen horse yeah. yeah so there's there's funny stuff like that happening all over the place and the be- there well i i couldn't help noticing because i lived there fry's electronics like that store that they go to with the spaceship coming out of it is the one in burbank that i the microphone i'm talking to you guys on i literally bought from that store <laughs> that's <And> funny <laughs> it um it doesn't exist they went out of business last year so i'm just going to assume Damn. that the movie takes place pre-pandemic uh, but yeah, there's a lot of that going on, and yeah, the the recreation of the industry and the sets and all that. I mean, they'll they know it That's better cool. than I do. Well, there's a lot of industry stuff, right? Like he yeah. has like a like they talk specifically. They call out that they didn't use the horses for Scorpion King. They used oh yeah, he's camels, wearing, which is of course conveniently a Universal movie. So yeah, right. But he's yeah, he's wearing the Scorpion King shirt, like he said. Uh, yeah, it just like he is clearly th- and and Deepak. I might ask you to talk a little you alluded to this before and i think the connection might be obvious but let's just tie all our bows just in case you alluded a little bit to the idea of spectacle right and the movie revolving around spectacle um and hollywood of course right like is a place where they value spectacle and jordan peele off of an oscar win two incredible movies wanted to make a movie that was a spectacle right and it is like spectacular it is spectacular but he is also clearly interested in talking about the dark side of that impulse. Um, it's something that I am painfully, awkwardly aware of as I get ready to shoot this podcast out into the internet and beg for fans. <laughs> but do you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is the... the struggle of, I guess, what we're willing to do for spectacle or even what spectacle means to different people. Mm-hmm. Um the kind of relativism of spectacle as far as people lining up in some little amphitheater to see what they think is a horse doing tricks versus the spectacle of a TMZ guy coming in to videotape what he thinks could be some weird alien activity versus, of course, the real spectacle, which is the alien itself. We think it's a house or a ship for aliens, and it turns out the whole fucking thing is an alien. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things... it. I'm not sure that he's even saying anything about the nature of spectacle as far as what it needs to be. I just think there there was some criticism there as far as what we have reduced spectacle to, like what we're willing to accept as spectacle. Maybe he's talking about superheroes, maybe he's talking about CGI, whatever it may be. And this is Jordan Peele, I think, culling from the masters. We've talked about Spielberg a lot because really he is the master of spectacle, if we want to be honest about it. Um, you don't get the next... 40 years of movies without Star Wars and Jaws. Um, so I think he's trying to recontextualize what it means to be a spectacle of a movie where you you literally just, the linchpin of the movie is 
Daniel Kaluuya coming off an Oscar where he has such screen presence, the biggest laughs in the movie are just him saying one word, nope, or just reacting to Kiki Palmer by just kind of like moving his hands, being like, what the fuck are you doing? And that, yeah. those get the biggest laughs in the movie. And Kiki Palmer is sensational in this movie. But Kiki she Palmer's is, incredible She in this is movie. very much the extroverted character, and even the Fry's electronics employee is very funny, but in his own way. He's kind of the newfangled kid on the block who's all into the tech and the gear and the gizmos and ultimately is useless when push comes to shove at the end. Yeah, right. So, so I think that's where a lot of the, the the spectacle and criticism of it comes from there. And Jack, you know, it's all his movies talk about you know the loops that we put ourselves into, right? Like the the social ruts that we find ourselves bound by. You know, we're all horses on that exercise machine, getting walked around in a circle at the end of the day in one way or another. Hmm. And, and and Jordan Peele's very keenly aware of that. Jack, did you feel at all? any kind of commentary around like social media or clout chasing or like wanting to go viral, right? Getting the Oprah shot, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, the first thing I was thinking of, um, I, I wasn't sure if the, uh, the whole theme of like animals not understanding thing, like the situation and quote unquote going crazy, um, that probably starts with the chimp and is also the horse, like, almost kicking the lady on set. Almost immediately after that, we see the chimp, right? Then we yeah. get that horse almost kicking the woman on set. Yeah. Um, because it, it's the mirror? Yes, because he turns the it's ball It's the, the green screen, this visual effect that yeah. they use. Yes. I don't know what, it, like, purpose it It's serves, supposed but... to be for lighting for visual effects. Sure. Oh, that makes sense. You can see how to light things. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was, I had two ways in my mind that I thought I could go. Either... Like, we would do something, we people would do something unintentionally to freak the alien out and cause it to, like, kill everybody, which I think is closer to what happens. Mm-hmm. Or would the aliens do something that we didn't understand that freaked us out and made us go crazy and had them put us down or whatever? Yeah, I remember you mentioned that. You and I were, like, live theorizing in yeah, the theater right. together. I remember you mentioning that. Um, uh... But while I was thinking about all of that, the thing that it was making me think of was how um, important, like, being the first is in this movie, right? They talk oh, yeah. about getting, like, the the Oprah shot, being the first person to see the aliens and get credit for that. But even that's what, uh, you know, they're trying to do at Daniel Yu, Yu's show, right? Stephen Young. Stephen Young. Yeah. yeah. Jupiter's claim. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Uh, where he's, like trying to, you know, live premiere Aliens is the first thing at the show. Yeah. Uh, and it clearly goes so well. So I think, um, and I was thinking, like, is there some, we are going to do something not understanding what these aliens are or why they're here, and that's obviously what happens. It didn't go exactly how I was thinking. But I do think he's trying to say something about, like, this instinct, especially today, of uh, just jumping in of doing the content before you even understand like what you're making content out of yeah um and and just the ramifications posting of first that exactly yeah yeah i don't know deepak is that you know we were talking you and i haven't debriefed as much about just like what we think that was that any at all part of your thinking at the time or is this the first you're kind of coming to those thoughts uh, they were not as concrete as they are now, I think, having had time to let them marinate, and then, of course, talking to both of you now. But there was, yeah, wisps of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, like like you say, the TMZ guy shows up, right? And it's just, yeah. it's like these roles. In, like, a, in a literal, like, silver <laughs> helmet. Like a reflective, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> he looks like that ball of, you know. Exactly, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I thought that was going to be the thing, was that, like, it was going to freak out. And I think out. it is, because that's when it, like, starts going paper mache. Oh, yeah. mm. I want to talk about that, too. Um, but, yeah, when, like, there's the TMZ character, right? We talked about how Kiki Palmer's character is, like, hustling every time she, you know, she comes onto that movie set. Yes, her too, yeah. We keep alluding to this, right? But, like, so the kind of opening incident is that Daniel Kaluuya's character has to bring a horse onto this set, and Kiki Palmer's character is supposed to be there to help him out. Yeah, like, this is clearly, like, gonna be his dad's job tomorrow, right, and now yeah. he just has to do it. <laughs> yeah, right, he just has to do it because dad died. And he's not a very, like, social person, so he doesn't feel comfortable giving the safety speech, and all these people aren't really listening that was, to him. That was so funny, when he, like, unenthusiastically gives the first two lines, and then she gives it word for word the same. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and he, he has to remind her that there's one more great right? Yeah. Because she's just that's, memorized dad doing it. That's and what's so inclined when, to make me think that it's, um, it's real. Is that he wants that to be factually Yeah, accurate. he wants to get it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, but like, and that's so, so the difference between their characters, right? Yeah. But, so Kiki Palmer shows up on the set, you know, and she's... Yeah, you're right. You know, she just she, memorized what dad said. She, I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, she just memorized what dad said. She doesn't think about what the words mean. She doesn't realize there's another grade in there. But, that, you know, she says she can act. She says she can do crafty. She does a little bit of motorcycle, as you see later. <laughs> I, left, I just loved the line, a little bit of motorcycle. I was like, Kiki, you do it or you don't. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, you know, like, all of these characters, right? Like, even Otis Jr., right, the, the Daniel Kaluuya, he is in the same rut of like I don't want any part of that, right? He has he doesn't have a smartphone, mm -hmm. right? Like he has isolated himself from all that because he doesn't want to get in, he doesn't want to be on Facebook, he doesn't want to be talking to people on Twitter, he doesn't need that shit in his life. But like, it you can tell where all these people fit in in this social structure of the idea of fame, mm -hmm. right? And I just find that to be essential to the movie, I guess. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Absolutely, I think you're right. I, I, I think she is, um, I didn't even think of her relation to it specifically, but I think you're absolutely right. She's so obsessed with this idea of being well-known. Like, she clearly hates where she's from so much uh, and just wants to escape from it somehow. And now she's being called back in. Well, let's, take, let's do Kiki Palmer Corner. Deepak, you and I yesterday were talking about, you know, is her character the alpha, right? Like, is that why she ends up in that yeah, right. This Tarzan versus the white ape showdown right. at the end because she's also the horse that can't be broken at the end of the day. Right. You can't break her, but you can adapt to her or you can rather have the surroundings around her adapt to her so that you can get the best out of her. Yeah. Which is what Kaluuya ends up having to do. And there's clearly love there. They're clearly as soon as the, the one of the best moments in the movies when they do that handshake as soon as the, the cinematographer joins the team and is like, I can get yeah. a shot. And they just do that repeated like four or five times handshake. Yeah. So it's not like he was that he ever turned her back on her or anything, but it's just that, you know, I'm trying to sell horses, I have a company to, I have a business to run here, you're not helping. So if you're not helping, just get out of the way. Um, when she does finally get on board and decide to help, she's probably the biggest asset that they have. Absolutely. I love every time she's like, you want to go out? He's like, no, I run a farm. <laughs> As Did you give me a ride tomorrow? Yeah, do I have to drive you? I was like, I can get a ride. <laughs> yeah, she's so good. And no, I think she is so essential. Right? She's, let's just put this out there right now. Despite the fact that, you know, as we've said, the Academy has a bad history when it comes to recognizing the incredible performances in Jordan Peele movies. Right. She's a lead character, right? I think she and Kaluuya are both leads. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I would say they're both leads. I agree. If they can run her in supporting to get her an Oscar, that's fine. But I, she's lead. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, 
you know, I just think that her character is so vital because of all that, right? And because of, I mean, she obviously is also the impetus of the movie, right? Like she, Yeah, like she's not in the beginning because she's literally not there, but I, I think she's centrally her, important to the plot. Yeah, and her absence is almost I mean, the whole once thing. she enters, I'm, I'd struggle to think of any scene without her beyond just the Stephen Yoon mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Yeah, or like when, when Kaluuya's trapped outside and she's trapped inside, mm-hmm. right? But her presence, again, is so incredibly important in that scene because he's trying to get her out of the house. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know, just... Uh, I don't. I think out of the whole movie, her vibe is one of those things that I'm still going to try and hunt down the next time I watch it. But, like... So, for example, there's a small scene halfway through the movie, or thereabouts, where she talks to her brother about the fact that their dad didn't let her train this one particular horse that was called Jean Jacket. Yeah, the, she, the she ICU, thought of as her horse. The ICU thing that they repeat at the end. Yes. Right, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya pointing to his own eyes and then pointing to her eyes when they were kids, mm-hmm. or when they were younger, right? And Again, she, the bigger theme of looking at people or seeing them or whatever with the alien. Right, well, but I think that also speaks to what you were saying, right? Which was like, Kaluuya was like, look, I get it. I know who you, I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and as is important to the the other plots of the film like it's an instinctual thing even it's not like a social human thing like we recognize reflection and eyeballs as like some that's a living thing that's looking at you right. well we also right that natural bonds towards like taking care of your family mm-hmm. right like looking out for the ones you relate to and and it seems like in that scene right what kiki palmer either doesn't know at that time or isn't ready to fully process yet maybe because of the hurt she's feeling towards her dad or whatever but you know they don't want her on that horse for her safety right right it's not that we don't like you so you don't get to break the horse it's that this horse will throw you and you will end up very badly hurt or maybe dead mm-hmm. but and 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 you know ultimately that's kind of why i think she may be a little bit of a liability at times because she is kind of a firecracker but at the end of the day, that's the thing, right? Like, that's what saves them, is she gets on that motorcycle, and Akira scoots. Yeah, Akira slides, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, right into saving the day. And it's because nobody, you know, like, if those, if she had come up against Jean Jacket the horse, that situation might have gone badly. When she comes up against Jean Jacket the UFO monster, she kicks its ass, which <laughs> is great. And, and yeah, I, I just think that character is so well put together. Like, her flaws are her strengths, her, her shortcomings are her... Superpowers. Yeah, it's, it's about recognizing the the nature, her nature, and using it to its fullest potential, but not right. like fighting against it in any way. Right. That's the difference. What do you think, Defect? Final words on this before we move on to some tech stuff. On Kiki Palmer? Uh, no, yeah, I, I think character, like, character, character she stuff. is sort of the untamable beast of the movie, for lack of a better term. But at the same time, it all comes from a place of love. There's, again, maybe a running, recurring theme here of family, the importance of family, either your biological family or the one you make for yourself. Um, Stephen Yoon literally has his entire family killed uh, in pursuit of this. Meanwhile, um, Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer are able to sort of figure out how to how to harness their own skills. Again, goes back to kind of the old school versus new school thing and uh, and make it work for them. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on. I mean, I'm really just trying to grasp at straws here because after one viewing, like any of his movies, it's it's hard to come away with everything. So. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a million small things. The line where he's like, um, my my first crush or whatever, 
and like he's married to someone else now broke my heart. It was such a small thing. Yeah, but yeah, that's the her... girl from the show, right? They got yeah, yeah, well, right. it's he just like her face torn off by yeah, a chimp. Like that he's like, oh man, I loved her, but then she got her face ripped off. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, that's cool. That probably went well for her life. Yeah, her, his, I mean, it's his storytelling, right? It's so good. It's just, it's, it's just one line that alludes to an entire life lived. Yeah. It's so sad. Jack, did you want to talk about the special effects that went into the unidentified aerial phenomenon? I didn't want to call it a UFO. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. I was trying to think. All right. Yeah, it's, it's unidentified aerial phenomenon, <laughs> which I knew because I'm a dork that knows about UFOs, but I was like... Come on, tell people what it stands for. <laughs> anyway, it's unidentified aerial phenomenon. Jack, you wanted to talk about the special effects that went into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Especially I was, when it goes bug nuts at the end. I, I was floored. I thought it was gorgeous, and I was very interested in Could sort of the Could you describe a little bit? You said, so like... The, yeah, the, I think it's... Well, wait, I'm going to call it one of the best gags in the movie, which is TMZ guy shows up on his all-electric motorcycle. When the alien is around, electricity stops working... So the bike just stops dead, and this guy gets thrown. Yeah, and, right. Which, they have, like, the signals to tell you where the electrical oh, yeah, field right. is, and you see the two heading towards each other. <laughs> the visual storytelling of Deepak using those as family Wacky guy waiting inflatable arm floating tube, man. Exactly. To show us where it is on the ground, even when we can't see it in the air, mm -hmm. because it turns the generators off as it flies over it. I thought that was remarkable visual storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. And then I think they also and it, they and have it a was... funny line just before the motorcycle gag where it's like, what happens when an electric bike meets uh, something that... that stops electricity or something and then immediately you see him just go flown half a mile. It, it's the same, it's the whole movie's like weird contrast of ho horror and uh, humor. <laughs> Deepak, did that line... Exactly. Did that line for you, Deepak, hit as ADR? We were talking about how, you know, we can talk about where the seams are in this movie a little bit because we love it so much. I thought that that line smacked of a studio note because some producer saw this and didn't did understand why this guy just went flying off his bike. And they were like, explain inertia. Um, oh, no, but, I just thought, I mean, his, his movies are usually so carefully written, I thought that was in there. Sure, fair enough. I might have just been overanalyzing. But okay, so TMZ guy comes. He, you mentioned earlier he's got basically a full reflective outfit. Mm. But yeah, on yeah. an all-electric bike. He's in the worst situation <laughs> possible. <Yeah. laughs> um, and he's here trying to get, trying to figure out what's going on because this Jupiter claim incident has happened and he's trying to like investigate. Because again, he wants to be first. And he hasn't investigated what's actually going on. He just wants to get footage of it. Right. So... Or else he would have found the house covered in blood two miles up the road. <laughs> so so that's when the alien... That's when the alien really starts kind of showing us what's really going on there and that it doesn't just look like a classic saucer dish or 10-gallon hat or whatever you're... Yeah, yeah it looked like a cowboy hat to me. I thought that was deliberate. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I think, oh, that's usually the... I'd the, say that's bug standard shape. It was, it's very classic. It looks like a kid's drawing of a But UFO there's something about the, the texture, the color of it that... Yeah, you're right that it usually with the dome crystal or whatever. Oh, yeah, and especially as you progress on, you start to, like, see hints of it being, like, very flexible. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like a membrane yeah. stretched over something else. And then when it starts to bloom, <laughs> it, it starts to, like, unfold. There's definitely, it looks like cloth or paper, like tissue paper of some kind. And all the sound effects that go with it sound like paper rubbing against paper. Like, I thought the sound design of this movie was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it gets at least twice as big. Oh, huge. It's in, it, Again, using that beautiful IMAX frame to just fill it up. Right. With it's the entire you... background of some of the shots of Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, and your, your head's going, I don't know what that is, but I know it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and um, then it reveals like that kind of uh, pulsating green square that keeps. Yeah, this yeah. clearly it's beak. <laughs> yeah, about I guess that's the maw. For, I don't know. Yeah, right. right. Uh, it, it's gorgeous. It's very hard to describe. Um, His second movie in a row, I think. Not remembering the opening of Get Out, which I think is just a uh, like music playing over him packing up. No, it's the but, uh, it's uh, what's his face the the actor from Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, it's when he gets kidnapped when he's walking home in the neighborhood. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's the opening scene, and then we the don't see him, we don't see him till later when he's like the white lady's boyfriend. Okay, I forgot about that because yeah. I was remembering that. Remember the opening credits of Us is on the bunny rabbit zooming out. And you're like, yeah, but the why? cold open is the when she's the, the little girl at the yeah the little girl yeah right 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 no but I'm just talking about that shot of because he does the same thing with these credits right where he's on that pulsating green square mm. and yeah, he yeah, zooms it's going out down the tunnel like uh, the and you're like shape. I don't know yeah. what the hell I'm looking at and then it's not until when the people get sucked up at Jupiter's claim and we see them all get squelched inside the belly of that most thing. terrifying scene yeah in the one moment that I would say pure horror in the movie just watching too many people get crammed into too small a space yeah like still alive for too long <laughs> but yeah then then when you see that green square in there you're like oh that's what that was and then at the end when it unfolds you're like oh <laughs> i didn't understand what we were dealing with <laughs> but yeah the, the i thought the special effects i don't know how they pulled it off or whatever but it must be some kind of model like it looked practical in some way no it's it, was, it's, it has to be cg no, but I don't think there was a real 50-foot thing in the sky. <laughs> but I feel like it's parts of it were could have been uh, composited in. The uh, uh, the shoot, like when you see them kind of going through the intestines or whatever. Oh, that definitely was, yeah. That, that has to be practical. And then the credit sequence, like what Riley's describing, is essentially like a trash shoot. I can totally believe that that was practically built. But uh, even when it's like flying up above and things like that, it, it, there's no other way to do that. Yeah. Uh, I, no, no, I agree with that. I think we were just talking about, like, the... I think right, what Jack was mentioning, I think, was just the specificity of the way this thing looked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that but, like, way. It, Sorry, yeah, yeah, that way. It was just... It had to be so clearly designed. No, I agree with you that in the shot, it's computers. Mm -hmm. But I think we were just saying, like... I think there is a small one yeah, there's, that, was, that was based on. But yeah. not even one, right? Because the way it changes... Like, every time it changes, yeah, yes, you think... That's a great point. This is it what doesn't this thing, just unfold. That would be crazy. You haven't <laughs> seen my final form. <laughs> it actually, the thing that it made me think of, and I know that this is like, this is probably a little far out there on the spectrum of things to talk about, but that's why Jordan Peele movies are fun. You know, people always talk, like in the Bible, they talk about how wild alien or angels look yeah, like. sure. Right? And they have like wheels and spikes and like... And a hundred eyes. Yeah. And I was like, this is like what I would expect that to look like, right? Mm -hmm. Is, and, and it did make me wonder if there was any kind of inspiration from that of just like a horrifying because and then the whole thing with angels oh yeah in christian angels look terrifying man they don't look like what you think they're supposed <laughs> to be like almost mechanical in nature um but people in particular its final true biblical angel form which was inspired by those of neon genesis evangelion and sea creatures so that's <laughs> yeah Wikipedia. sure Interesting. Well, Jack, have you watched yeah, Evangelion? I've seen, yeah, I've seen Neo Geo Eva. <laughs> I, it's one I always mean to. Having seen that, does that smack true to you? Do you understand where they... Um, a little bit, yeah. The, the angels are similarly like creepy eldritch monsters that are specifically trying to kill people in that one. <laughs> yeah, I was, just, you know, I was thinking about how whenever an angel shows up in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid, and yeah. there's all this reference to the, they look so weird. And there's a... I wondered if there was any inspiration from that is all I meant. 
This is a little off topic, but there's a short story also of, I remember reading, it's in the same book that um, Arrival is based on. Oh, okay, yeah. Which is like a series of short stories, and one of them is in a world where angel sightings are common. Oh. But they're like uh, nat- natural disasters, because like people go blind and like buildings fall down. <laughs> Wild, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and that's. I felt like there was some of that in here too. I don't know. It's just there's so much, right? You could grab onto any single. Well, yeah, there's thread. a whole character named Angel. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. Great point. Great point. There is. Um, but yeah, I thought the visuals of that final act and the way, you know, what first it kind of turns into a jellyfish and mm-hmm. then it becomes more geometric. Well, we and... talked even a little bit about like in lore how we think this alien works practically. Right. Because, like, does it travel through space? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had mentioned it being, like, a camel, which almost seems accurate at the end where it, like, snakes the thing in. Right. Jack had said, you know, okay, so let's... This is where Jack... Let's take it too far. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you... I don't want to put words in your mouth. You put forward the problem. I, I was just like, how, does it, what, how did it get here? Right? Where did it come from? Surely it wasn't born on Earth. And if it's organic, it needs energy. Food sustenance. That's why it's eating the horses. Right. So I had said, Deepak, maybe it's like a camel, and that it comes... It I think this is a good point. ...consumes as much as it needs, and then it goes to the next planet. And, and then it, it spends like five months in space or whatever. Right, just digesting as it goes to the next planet. And I wondered if maybe that was why you call out the camel specifically on the Scorpion King. Oh. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's an, it was an interesting connection as soon as you brought it up. I was like, oh, they but talked about camels. I wouldn't have thought about it at all, unless, except you said, well, how does it get to places yeah, right. it has to eat? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe, I guess the idea of it looking like a UFO is that maybe they've been here for a while and this oh, is maybe. just a new one. Yeah. Well, I, I guess know. it had only been there for six months, right? Because Yeah, only that, that one in that spot, and right, they mentioned where it being was it territorial. Before that and how did it right. get there? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, Deepak, I just watched Collateral getting ready to do this bonus episode with you. Mm. And, uh, in Collateral, they mention how clearly Tom Cruise has just pulled this same shtick over in the Bay Area. Yeah. And, like, it's his M.O. I wonder if this guy has a similar M.O. where he just goes... But, yeah, like, I mean, we've, we've referred to it before, but after it eats all the people and it just shits all the blood onto Daniel Bluya's house, uh, that was just some real, real good horror. Even when, he, when the car is off and you just hear the rain stop hitting the top of it because it's over top of him. So creepy. <laughs> We're going to find out that this thing was responsible for, like, the Malaysian airline flight disappearing. (laughs) (laughs) I'd believe it. They looked at him. Um, Oh, the one thing I wanted to call out just while we were on the alien physiology, and then I was just going to have us all do round robin, just maybe one thing. It doesn't have to be, like, a take or whatever. Just something to leave people thinking about. Um, The scene where Kiki Palmer is on one side of it, and Kaluuya is on the other side of it, and the green whatever mm-hmm. is like kind of it starts to advance towards one and then yeah they keep like taking turns looking at it so it keeps turning around like yeah. a dog trying to decide where it's gonna go i just thought that that was so effective because it showed the limitation of the thing mm-hmm. right like it's not it can't just get you yeah right like it has, it has to, a point of focus yeah there is some like you know the system of rules to how this thing works that were established earlier mm. that are now at the end used against it as a payoff. I, That's a good point. I thought that that was just good, hey, good storytelling Jordan Peele. <laughs> Second in, well, never mind. No, what? In RRR I watched recently. Oh, did you? Yeah. 
Um, and there's like this the one bit where the tiger is in the net. Yeah. And he like in one shot explains everything about the mechanics of how this next scene's gonna happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's very good. When you can tell us hey, I like when you can tell a story with visuals. <laughs> I'm Riley Trahan and I like movies. Deepak, leave the people with something to chew on in regards to nope. God, what what can I say that hasn't already been talked about? <laughs> I, uh, it's good. Go watch it. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I'll say, uh, just because it didn't really come up, Keith David is in this movie for two lines and maybe 60 seconds. And, and yeah, it crushes it. He's great. flashbacks, yeah. Um, I'm still not sure if there's any kind of meaning behind the, the nickel lodging itself squarely through his eyeball and into his brain. That's something that might just be like a weird coincidence to get you thinking about what's go- what caused all this. But, uh... Had his eye on the one... <laughs> One thing that I, I want to leave people with is is not about the... Jack did a story thing, so I'll do a tech thing. Deepak, you and I talked about this kind of extensively on Twitter, but this movie looks so good compared to all the Marvel movies. <laughs> like yeah, we'll, we'll talk off mic if you want, or we can do this now, because uh, I, I have more <laughs> to add to that. Oh, no, absolutely. Let's get in. Let's, we have a little bit of time here. I just... It was incredible for me to see... I mean, obviously it's shot in IMAX. Obviously it looks beautiful. But I saw it in the same theater I saw Thor, Love, and Thunder in. And Thor, Love, and Thunder uses... the same room. (laughs) Thor, Love, and Thunder uses the ILM soundstage, right? Which is a piece of technology, Deepak, the volume, that you and I will talk about at some point soon, but is, you know, an impressive piece of technology. Um, But has its limitations. And I gotta say it. I think going out into the middle of the desert and shooting something with an IMAX camera produces a better result than going to a soundstage in London and having Chris Hemsworth walk up and down a catwalk. I yeah. want to see more movies where we go into the desert and shoot people in the desert yeah, running around. Absolutely. It looks good. So I was just listening to the audio commentary on Doctor Strange 2. And, okay. Um, Who's on that? Is it Raimi? Raimi, one of the writers and one of the producers. Okay. Not, not Feige. And... Um, a couple of big takeaways was one there's a lot more of it that was practical than I initially realized oh. and there's um, but again there's kind of a, a slathering of CGI over everything that makes that hard to tell and they in the commentary talk about how there's a scene right after he and America go through all those like 12 different multiverses for the first time they're like tumbling 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 and then they finally end up in 838 or whatever it is and they're on a rooftop and that scene, I remember when it came out in theaters a few months ago, got criticized for looking very fake. And of course, we find out in the commentary that that was supposed to take place in an alley. They land in an alley, and then the idea is that when they come out of the alley, that is the big reveal of what the, this alternate universe looks like. Mm. But then the idea came from both Raimi and Feige to go, why are we holding back on that reveal? Let's move that whole conversation to a rooftop. So you have to reshoot it, I think, at the 11th hour. Then, of course, when you're reshooting it, that means all your CGI has to start from scratch again. Mm-hmm. And this right. is all 11th hour stuff. The same thing we were talking about, the Shang-Chi clip, where they, it, they've they talked about how it was initially supposed to take place in one place, and then they decided to move it again. Jack's giving me a look, Deepak, just because he wasn't on our Twitter thread. It's the showdown at the end. With, the father-son thing, where he like, throws five rings around. at him, oh, and then they oh, yeah, start yeah, yeah. to respond. And it, it just all looks like smoke and nothing. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. All gray. The only color comes from the rings, which they're going to say was intentional. because Yeah, they're going to say, yeah, right, we did it. And you're like, uh... <laughs> But it's that kind of thing where there's like a lot of, there's always a going back and forth about should we do it this way, should we do it that way. And some people will say, hey, that's the new post-Lucas, post-P2 
Peter Jackson on the Hobbit wow. way of doing things where you're just kind of constantly on the fly and you have all these resources and you can manipulate things in a million different better. ways. Right. But then we look at something where you have a vision. And Raimi is a real director. We all know this. Yes. But even within these Raimi's a guy with a vision. Right. But you can come at it with something like Jordan Peele or Chris Nolan or whoever you want to pick, Denny Villeneuve, with Dune especially, where it's like, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do it this way, and if you have other ideas, get them out now, because once we're locked in, we're locked in. Well, and that's, you know, it's what you're speaking to, right? And I, I know that you'll agree with this, so I, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just mm. highlighting the point. Is that that's what happens when you get locked into that Feige system, right? Like, Raimi, on his own, can, you know, has done a, a great picture or two in his time. You may have heard of some of them. Um, but... You know, when you get locked into this bigger system, like we said on Twitter, right, where all these wheels are moving, where all of a sudden a movie 10 years from now needs but you to do But it's not some... even about that. I don't even think they're planning that far ahead because I kind of, as time goes on, I believe when Feige says we're only kind of thinking so far ahead. What does the location of the final battle in Shang-Chi have to do with 10 years down the road? Or when, yeah, I don't or know, when these I mean, people I you. fall into Universe 838... It's just that the idea pops into someone's head the same way you thought that the ADR line and nope happened where it's like, yeah, right, oh, by right. the way, what happens if we do it this way? And mm -hmm. there used to be a time where you could go, well, you know, that's not, not necessarily no. a bad idea, but we have these <laughs> limited resources and whatever. And now it's like if that note comes in, it's a commandment. And it's also, I mean, in outside of the Marvel Universe, which is just specifically what we're speaking to now, right. it is still possible to say, all right, great, let's do that push the movie six months yeah right oh there's so the, uh, speaking of this commentary they were originally supposed to start shooting may of 2020 pandemic mm -hmm. hits right in march so everything gets screwed up the schedule gets screwed up we've talked about how spider-man had to get moved and all that stuff right so spider-man happens first america chavez happens later so then everything starts pushing i think to november of 2020 he's talking about how they were stuck in the second act and that's when they decided to bring in the illuminati and all that stuff and he's talking about his first draft of that happening in August. And I'm in my Jeez. mind going, I'm going to assume you mean the first draft of the rewrite. Because there's mm -hmm. no way you're working on a first draft of a movie that was initially supposed to shoot in May in August. That can't possibly no. be happening. No, that must be the first draft of the rewrite. But even still, they're that far into it in August that yeah. he's thinking, should I bring in the Illuminati now? Is that a good mm -hmm. idea? Yeah. And the, again, look, I like the movie in the end. And I think some of these, it's kind of not the way we should be watching movies, but it's kind of like I gain a greater appreciation for the movie after hearing how they made it. All the little things where it's like structurally they really went after Terminator after, 2. After hearing like, what a shitstorm it was. <laughs> that, technically but like, there are ideas that they have that I don't think come across in the movie unless you hear yeah. it from them, where it's like. Doctor Strange is the T-800, America Chavez is John Connor, and Wanda is the T-1000. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That makes sense to me. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's just, yeah. This is why, this is the point that we all were trying to end on anyway, so we're here now and we did it. Support good filmmakers who make stuff that maybe you haven't heard of before. Guys, yeah, I went to the right? theater for this. Yeah. I know, and I'm so proud of you. Mm. Is that, yeah, I can't is wait to tell Zinger I went to the theater and not for You that. have to text him. He'll be proud, too. But, yeah, it's, you know, like, it's what we were talking about. The, I've just been having a blast going to single movies. <laughs> yeah, don't see a movie with a sequel. Just go see Barbie. Right. Cool. This was fun. Uh, follow us. Subscribe. The whole thing. Do it. Do it. You know how it goes. Bye.